Chapter 37 Haunting 101 McGuckin cried out and slapped both hands to his cheek. Two things fell to the ground, the scissors and a mini camcorder. Nix apologized profusely before remembering she didn't have any vocal cords. What in the seven flips was McGuckin doing in Sarah's entryway in the middle of the night? Fawn had disappeared up the stairs. Obviously, she'd heard the cry of pain and decided not to offer first aid. No one else came down. Mr. Hainsworth must still be sleeping, and Nix's friends clearly had the good sense to stay put. Nice shot, Belly said with a chuckle. I take it you know this clown? My vice principal, Nix said. He's kind of a jerk. Also kind of a trespasser. Who's there? McGuckin asked in a strangled whisper. Sadly, he didn't seem mortally injured. He had only cried out the once, and although his cheek was bleeding pretty good, he still had both eyes, which Nick supposed was a good thing. But Belly had a point. Why would a grown man sneak a camcorder into a girl's house? He couldn't be Pillowhead. He was much too tall and spindly. Probably some freaky perv then. McGuckin kept one hand on his cheek and with the other slowly picked up the camcorder. He stared at the scissors a moment, as if considering whether to pick them up as well. Fawn peeked around the corner at the top of the steps. So far, this scare Fawn night hadn't gone that great, what with random ghosts and faculty members popping in. McGuckin stepped silently toward the back of the house with the minicam. The red recording indicator seemed like a 200-watt bulb. What was McGuckin hoping to document? Was he here with Fawn, or maybe just followed her up the mountain? What's the plan? Belly asked. Nix had no idea. I'm worried if we try to scare Fawn, she said, that McGuckin will get it on video and try to use it as evidence of my friend's criminal natures or something. Which, now that I think about it, is probably the reason he's up here. That made the most sense. McGuckin must have noticed Nix and Jordan plotting in school and decided to get the evidence he needed to prove them arsonists. Had he staked out Jordan's house until Leo picked him up? Let's give him evidence of a different kind, Belly said with a mischievous smile. It's been a while since I've spooked the house. If you lend me some of your presents, we can scare the hellfire out of him. Or maybe into them, depending on your level of malice. Nix hesitated. Her malice level was plenty high for both the mortals in question. But for all she knew, Belly was planning to burn them alive. Also, lending him some of her presents did not sound like a good idea. I think I'm good, Nick said. It was really nice to meet you, though. Maybe we can... She trailed off as Belly put out his hand, palm up, as if preparing to escort Nix across a puddle. He seemed so gentlemanly. Nix felt bad shutting him down again. That, coupled with her flaming curiosity, overcame Nix's caution. Nix put her hand in Belly's. She felt a rush of cold and loss, but then Belly removed his hand and smiled. He looked different somehow. Less cartoony, more healthy. His dark business suit, which Nix hadn't really noticed earlier, seemed freshly dry-cleaned and a carnation boutonniere had appeared in his jacket pocket. There are two ways to spook, Belly said. In the victim's mind, which requires very little power, but much more finesse. Internal transmission also allows manipulation of emotion. But since we are trying to disturb a house full of people, and I'm sure your vice principal would love to get it all on tape, we should use the second approach. Physical spooking requires much more presence. Energy, 
Belly added upon seeing Nix's confused expression. But you've got presents to spare. Now watch how much fun this is. Belly moved to McGuckin's side and tapped his index fingers together, as if clapping. A creaking noise sounded from the floor above, wood straining under substantial weight. McGuckin froze and looked toward the ceiling, then continued to a window facing the backyard. You can start out big, Belly said, but the slow build generally has a better payoff. He clapped with two fingers. McGuckin jumped and waved the mini video camera around. Nix didn't understand what was happening until she spotted a large wolf spider fall to the ground and scurry away. Apparently, the spider had made McGuckin's personal acquaintance, and if McGuckin hadn't strapped the camera to his hand, he definitely would have dropped it again. McGuckin continued to scan the backyard, but his posture was less confident. Belly cast a sly glance at Nix, then clapped three fingers together. An enormous crow hit the window, flapped about a bit, then smacked into it once more. The bird fell out of sight. McGuckin, who'd stayed surprisingly unruffled through the avian encounter, ran a finger along the cracked glass. That's pretty cool, Nick said, although she did feel bad for the bird. But we're kind of here to scare Fawn. She's the one that's been harassing my friend. Where did that little brunette go? Belly asked. Nix could clearly see Fawn at the top of the stairs, but she figured it was a rhetorical question. Nix moved to face Fawn. Nix tried tapping her index fingers together as Belly had done, but nothing happened. You're holding onto the energy, Belly said. You've got to release it. How? How do you break wind? Nix blinked. She'd not been expecting such a response from a gentleman in a suit. I don't know, she mumbled. You push and release at the same time. Tighten the stomach muscles. Relax the sphincter. Okay, this conversation was going downhill fast. At least that's what I've heard. I've never owned abs or a sphincter, if we're being frank. I'm okay, Nick said. I don't have much use for haunting houses or... Belly clapped four fingers and an arrangement of silk flowers in a nearby vase burst into flame. This time Fawn and McGuckin both shouted in surprise, but neither moved to put out the fire. They watched the flowers shrivel and blacken, McGuckin filming with a manic look in his eye. His face had mostly stopped bleeding. Jordan peered around the front door, no doubt wondering what all the screaming was about. It was at that moment that three sheet-covered ghosts appeared behind Fawn and said, Boo! Fawn screamed and fell down the stairs. Luckily, they were carpeted, and she more or less rolled. Belly appeared surprised to see her. He moved right up to Fawn's face and lightly clapped his hands, all five fingers. Fawn sank into the floor as if it had been quicksand. She flailed and shouted for help. McGuckin continued to film, the light from the still-burning flowers illuminating the scene. Jordan stood open-mouthed in the entryway. Leo threw off his sheet, slid down the stairs on his butt, and grabbed Fawn's hand, but Leo's feet sank into the carpet as well. Tiago remained on the second floor, wide-eyed. Sarah and Jordan attempted to pull Leo and Fawn out of the liquid floor, but the floor was winning. Okay, Nick said to Belly, I think that's probably good. In response, Belly clapped his hands loudly this time. A shudder passed through Nick's. It felt as if she'd hit a speed bump, except instead of being jostled upward, the force had pushed Nick's shoulders toward her spine. Light flooded the house. For a moment, Nix was disappointed in the anticlimactic final clap, but then she realized it had been Mr. Hainsworth, who'd switched the lights on. He stood next to Tiago and stared down at the group, as if trying to figure out what party game he'd walked in on. Daddy! Sarah screamed. 
Mr. Hainsworth took three steps towards Sarah, then stopped. What is that? But no one heard. They too were watching the charred remains of the flowers, which had arranged themselves into the shape of a wolf with spider legs. It started small, then grew as the black stems elongated and thickened. Instead of pouncing on Fawn and the others, the charcoal creature, which was now the size of an actual wolf, jumped nearly the entire staircase and wrapped its limbs around Mr. Hainsworth. McGuckin was still recording like it was his kid's first birthday. Fawn had managed to crawl free of the carnivorous carpet and sprinted for the front door. Meanwhile, Leo and Jordan struggled to keep their heads above the ground. Tiago had disappeared down the other end of the hallway. The spider hybrid dragged Mr. Hainsworth up the wall and onto the ceiling, where it proceeded to chew on his neck. As far as Nix could tell, the monster still consisted of melted plastic flowers, so Mr. Hainsworth wasn't in any immediate danger of being eaten, but falling from the ceiling could definitely break bones, and one of the wire stems must have punctured something, because blood dripped onto the stairs. What frightened Nix most, however, was that Jordan's head had just disappeared into the carpet. Stop! Nick shouted at Belly. You're going to kill Jordan! Belly extended his hand. I can save him, but it will require a little more of your presence. Nick slapped her hand into his. Instantly, it felt like her bones were being extracted through her fingernails. Then Belly released his hold on her, pressed his palms together, then yanked them apart. The black creature folded in on itself with the sound of dry grass. Mr. Hainsworth dropped onto the stairs. The house creaked as if it were being ripped from its foundation, and then it grew abruptly quiet. The screams trailed off. Mr. Hainsworth didn't appear to have broken anything important. Leo and Sarah sat on the floor at the bottom of the stairs. The carpet had returned to its previous non-lethal state. The only sign that it hadn't all been imagined was Mr. Hainsworth's scratched-up neck and the blackened flower fragments littering the stairs, and the fact that her best friend was missing. Where is Jordan? Nick screamed at Belly. The cellar. Broke a few wine bottles, but otherwise he's unharmed. Before the mortals could come to their senses or comment on the unusual behavior of the decor, Nix located Jordan bumbling around in the dark basement. She was about to guide him to a light switch when she realized she didn't know how long she'd been out of her body, which was currently in Fawn's truck, thanks to Jordan and Fawn could be halfway down the mountain before the girl noticed she wasn't alone. Nix materialized on the road. The truck was still there. Jordan had used fake blood to write a message on the windshield. Their original plan seemed completely ridiculous in light of what had just happened. Fawn grabbed a spare key from under the dash and started the car. When the headlights came on, Fawn's head jerked to see Nix's body propped up against the passenger side door. Fawn screamed and went into full-on attack mode. Nix grimaced. Watching herself repeatedly get kicked in the face was not pleasant. Out! Nix rumbled at Fawn. The simple low-frequency command did the trick. Fawn abandoned the one-sided kickboxing match and flung herself out of the truck. Still screaming, she disappeared into the forest. Nice transference, Belly said, abruptly beside Nix. I find if you direct a bit of anger toward the recipients, the message sticks better. I'll keep that in mind. Nix really didn't want to enter her body with an audience, but she was certainly near the five-minute limit, if not over. Talk to you later, Nix said. She re-entered her body. Why was she face down in a vehicle? Had she been in a car accident? Nix, Jordan called from Sarah's yard. You'll never believe what just happened. Instead of bringing everyone in for a rational discussion about what they'd just seen, 
Sarah's dad rode the rush of adrenaline, grabbed a gun from the study, and shouted for all non-Hainsworths to get immediately out of his house. Leo and Jordan used the drive home to speculate wildly and relive the awesomeness of the paranormal encounter. Tiago, on the other hand, seemed to be in shock. Nix could tell Jordan had loads of questions for her, but he was smart enough not to ask. I can't believe Fawn left us to drown, Jordan said as they rolled slowly down the hill toward town. And kicked Nix in the face, Leo said. What were you doing in her truck anyway? Trying to scare her, Nix said. Probably not the best idea in retrospect. She glared at Jordan. Jordan grinned. At least we did what we planned to. Fawn got the living spit scared out of her. I don't think she'll want to take on Sarah and her friends anytime soon. Why did you write single backward? Tiago asked. She won't be able to read it while she's driving, when she eventually gets back to her truck. It's not for her, Leo said. It's for the rest of the world, so everybody will know that my hermanito no longer belongs to the psycho midget girl. I still think she's hot, Jordan said. I wonder if she'd take me on the rebound. Jordan covered his head as several hands slapped at him. 